when Lizzie was four or so, she had asked to do something, go to the zoo or something like that, and I answered and said, well, we'll talk about that, and, uh, or we'll see, and she kind of squirreled uh, her face up and said, that's just parent speak for no, and there is such a thing as parent speak, and there's such a thing as church speech. Uh, there's language that we use in the church, Christianese, that to the outside world doesn't make a whole lot of sense. In the 2016 uh, election cycle, uh, there was a Christian pastor who prayed uh, that the body of Christ would vote following God's word. And a New York Times reporter wrote a piece that said, how dare this person pray that Jesus would bodily return and vote Republican? Because she didn't grow up in the church, she didn't understand that when someone says the body of Christ, you're not praying that God physically come back, that we're praying that the church would do something because she didn't speak Christianese. And we, we have language that we use all the time that to an outsider wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. I've kind of had this in my mind since I just preached this same sermon. And when Brian uh, was praying for me to preach, he said, Lord, protect Pastor Tom as he comes to speak. Well, none of us blinked at that. But if you weren't in the church and somebody prayed that, you'd think, what's, what's about to happen? Why, why does he need to be protected? Is somebody about to come in here and whoop that boy? I mean, is something going on? If, we, if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I think we should, uh, Sunday school class, we should go on a trip, and you said, well, I think we should pray about that. You know, because you're from the church, that that's, that's kind of a soft no, right? I mean, we just don't have the guts to say, nah, I don't think that's a good idea, but so you throw that, I think we should really just lay that before the Lord and see, see how the Lord leads us. Well, that's, that's a fancy way of saying no. Or if somebody says, um, well, do you think we should do this? And you say, I just don't feel the Lord lead me in that direction. That's a hard no, right? So we've got language that we use. There's whole comedy skits about that. And one of the things that we say, and some of the things that we say are so much Christianese that they don't make any sense anymore, and they don't mean what we think it means. I've heard people say, uh, when someone comes and says, I'm having this terrible thing going on in my life, They'll say, well, you just need to let God, let go and let God. And that doesn't, what does that mean even? And what, sometimes that's horrible advice. Because sometimes God wants us to be focused on the task at hand. If you're a mountain climber, let go and let God is horrible advice. So, we need to, to be careful of that, and what, the area that we like to use that soft Christianese language is when we're dealing with fear, when we're talking about things that people are afraid of, because we don't, we don't like to, to, to butt up against that, and so oftentimes we we'll say, well, the Lord just got this. Well, we'll be praying for you. God bless you. The Bible, however, meets fear head on. It doesn't mealy-mouth with it. It doesn't Christianize it. And we have right here in the book of Luke, back-to-back, two stories, actually three or four stories, that are dealing specifically with fear, what to do in the face of fear. The Stoic philosopher 
Marcus Aurelius, who's also a Roman emperor, um, writes in his book, Meditations, that you are the master of your own emotions. And that if an outside circumstance affects you, that's on you, not the circumstance. Now, let me give you an example. If you're driving down the road and your tire blows, the tire was just being rubber, metal, and air. The tire wasn't making a decision to, the tire didn't wake up and say, you know what, I'm going to mess him up today. The tire was just being a tire. So if you choose to let that upset you, then that's on you, not the tire. You're the one who owns your own emotions. He takes that way further than inanimate objects and says, if there's someone, and I'm sure in the church this never happens, if you're around somebody that just makes you mad, you ever had somebody that you just didn't G-haul with, and uh, I just saw a hand raised. Um, Wow, I see that hand. I see that hand. Amen, brother. Uh, if you ever had don't don't volunteer any names, but you ever had somebody that just they could breathe around you and it makes you mad, right? We've all we've all got that guy. I know that's okay. Probably in some of your lives, I'm that guy. I'm okay with that. What Marcus Aurelius is saying is they're do, if, doing whatever they're doing, and if you allow them to make you upset. And have an emotional response to that, that's on you, not them. You're the one who's the master of your own emotions. Now, where that philosophy breaks apart, though, is when we butt up against real fear. If you're sitting in a doctor's office on a stainless steel table in a paper gown with your honey hanging out, waiting on the doctor to come back in and give you test results... You can't master your own emotion in those situations. When you get a 3 a.m. phone call, when your wife says, we need to talk, no matter who it is, if somebody says, we need to talk, that's a problem. We don't need to talk. I always want to argue out of it. No, we don't need to talk. We good. In those kind of situations when it's real, you can... Do some things to help control your emotions, but you can't be master of your emotions. This story is led, Luke is setting us up. Just before this story, we have another story where the disciples are on a boat. They're crossing over the sea, and as they're crossing over the sea, Jesus, he's exhausted. If you read the, the, there's about three chapters that are all one day in Jesus' life, and it's just crazy, all the things that he does in that day. He's exhausted, he's asleep. Well, as happens on the Sea of Galilee, a storm blows up, and all of a sudden this goes from just a, st- a squall to this is full-on thunderstorm. Lightning flashing, thunder crashing, the boat getting tossed around. If you're ever in a boat and your ankles feel wet, that's a bad feeling. And so they're bailing water out as fast as they can. If you've ever been in a bad thunderstorm, much less on the water in a bad thunderstorm, you know that. Man, that's getting awful close. Thunder has an ability to get your attention. 
So they are scared to death. This boat is filling with water, legitimately scared to death. They have friends who have drowned on this sea. They know this story of a guy who was in a brand new boat, second day he had it, who's out on the water, one of these storms blows up, boom, to the bottom he goes and he drowns. They are horrified. They're bailing as hard as they can. They're working as hard as they can. They look around and Jesus is still asleep. They run back, Jesus, Jesus, get up, get up. We're about to drown, we're about to die. Jesus gets up out of the boat. He's wiping the sleep crumbs out of his eyes and looking around, what are you talking about? Thunder's crashing, lightning is flashing, the boat is rocking everywhere, and Jesus goes, shut up! And the sea's glass. And the sun comes out. And the text, which said, talks about how afraid they were in the middle of the storm, says, And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying one to another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Now they're afraid. They're not afraid because of the storm. They're not afraid because of the boat. They are horrified because this dude just stood up and told the weather to shut up, peace, be still, and it obeyed him. And they are horrified. What kind of power does this guy weld? I mean, again, when you were a little kid and the storms were bad and you were scared and you crawled in mom and dad's bed, what would you do if your dad had said, I'm trying to get some sleep, i got to go to work in the morning, raised the window, stuck his head out and said, shut up, and all of a sudden, silence. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And now, these disciples are horrified of him and not the outside circumstances. And I think the next story that we're going to deal with today is telling us the same thing. The solution for fear is fear. The solution for fear is fearing the right thing. The Bible tells us that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We should be afraid, but of God. Now, I love how fitting this story is to our world. I, I, if, you, if you go on Instagram or Twitter or uh, Facebook or any of those places, you'll see these lists that people put together. And, you know... It, there's lots of times it'll be stuff like it'll show aliens coming down and it'll say, this is, you know, what's 2020 set, us, set up for us in, in August. It's only going to get worse. And they'll list out what all we've gone through in 2020. Um, you know, we started out the year, we are almost in World War III because Trump got into a yeah, yeah, and with, with the Chinese and the, the Koreans. And then after that, remember, we don't even hardly remember this, Australia almost burned down. Um, we, were, we were seeing Australia catch on fire and then, then Kobe died. Um, and then we had the, the first round of the COVIDs that came and hit us, and, and uh, New York and California where, you know, everybody's in the hospital, and, but it didn't really affect us. I don't know about you, but I didn't know anybody in that first cycle. I mean, it was essentially a free vacation. We all, all went home, and, and I don't know about you, but, you know, worked on the deck, you, 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 you did yard work. You, it was, uh, every time I went, it was really funny, because we couldn't meet here, and so, but every time I'd go to Lowe's, it would be like... Pick up trucks as far as you could see. So we, we weren't really afraid then. Um, 
And then, then after that, we, we, we got in. Every time you turned on the news, it was like people are rioting. They're pulling statues down. It's just that our country has gone off the rails, it seems like. And now we've gotten to, I don't know if it's the second wave or the first wave's actually hit us. But, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I, I have two good friends that have been uh, tested positive. We've got one of those friends who's in the hospital now with double pneumonia. And we all know people now who, who have COVID. There's somebody in our community that passed away, uh, the Masaros uh, mother passed away from COVID, a uh, former member of this church just passed away from COVID, so it feels real now. So there's this frenetic, it's like every time I, you turn on the news, every time you open Facebook, every time you listen to the radio, uh, I, in fact, I used to have this cycle where every morning I woke up to, uh, we have one of those Alexas, uh, I woke up to the news, I would say computer, because I'm a geek and I wanted it to be like the computer on Star Trek, so I'd say computer. And I, oftentimes I'll, I'll speak to it like I'm Picard, computer. Uh, that's three or four of you might have understood that. But anyway, I'll ask for Earl Grey hot. Um, but I'll go, computer, news. And it'll just, it, I, and I have it set up to where it'll do routers, New York Times, and it just reads the news to me. I've stopped doing that. Because now all the news is Trump stinks, uh, the, we're all going to die, and everybody's, everybody's horrible. We're just all horrible people. And I got tired of hearing it, so I just stopped. I mean, I know. I know what it's going to tell me. So as all this is coming at us, it's easy for us to be afraid for legitimate reasons. We're not talking about, at this point, we're not talking about fear of something that may happen. You know, I read one time there was this guy in Arizona that this No, this is legitimate fear. There's, there's the fear of health. There's the fear that a lot of our jobs are in jeopardy. Are they going to, if you're a teacher, what, what, what are we going to do? If, I know nurses now are having a hard time getting shifts, as backwards as that seems. Uh, no matter what, as a pastor, I'm like, if giving's got to stay up, or we, we're, if, are we going to be able to make the mortgage if, if things go south? And, and, and there's legitimate real fears. We're not talking about maybe there's this one thing that could have happened and I know somebody who knows somebody whose aunt's cousin, sister's brother's cat's friend one time heard it. We're, we're, we're getting into the real world and I can see in the believers that I'm around that there are people who are legitimately, rightfully afraid. And I want us to look at this story that Brian read and see how do we deal with fear. How do we deal with real fears? So the story starts out, Jesus had returned from the, the trip where he, he cast out some demons. There's crowds following him. There, he, he, come, he, he stilled the waves. He comes across. The crowd is welcoming. He gets there. There's this throng of people. There's people everywhere. It's like, whoa, Jesus. And they're all excited. And he comes up, and there's this huge crowd. And they were all waiting for him. And so there's a dude who comes whose name is Jarius, and he is a big deal in this community. It's like the mayor or city council person. Everybody would know him. I mean, if he walked into Pruitt's, everybody would have to go say, hey, how are you doing? I mean, everybody knows the guy. He's the ruler of the synagogue. He's an important person. He comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, my daughter, my only, in the text tells us, it's his only child is sick, really sick. Now here he is showing faith, showing trust. 
being humble, coming to Jesus for help. And Jesus says, okay, we, let's go. We'll go see her. So the crowd goes with them. Of course, they're not going to miss this show. Hey, we've already, they've heard stories that Jesus healed this guy, Jesus did this, Jesus did that. He's about to go heal this girl. Let's go. And so the whole crowd is going. If you, if, as I'm thinking about the storm thing, if you've ever been to an Alabama Auburn football game and you're trying to get to your seat and there's just this throng of people around you, it's just, you know, everybody's on top of you so that you really want to periodically just turn around and go, get off me! And now, or it's just, there's people everywhere and this whole crowd is moving. And as this crowd is going and everybody's jostling each other and they're moving along and they're getting on, all of a sudden Jesus stops I picture this Larry Moe and Curly thing of Jesus stopping and everybody kind of stacking up on him. And he goes, somebody touch me. Well, Peter, always being the smart aleck, says, what do you mean, who hasn't touched you? What do you mean somebody touched you in this crowd? Of course you've been touched. I've been touched a thousand times. What are you talking about? No, I felt power come out of me. Somebody touched me. And so we're... The story is moving like Jesus is going to take this crowd and there's going to be a really cool healing and it's because this is an important guy. Jesus is super popular right now. The crowds love him. And then all of a sudden we, the, the story, just as Jesus, stops and we have this lady come on the scene. She's broke. She has an issue of blood, which is a female problem, which means culturally she can't go to church, she can't go to the temple, she can't worship, she can't do, she's not supposed to be around unpeople because of her sickness. She's unclean. So here is this woman who is broke because she spent all of her money trying to deal with the issue to no avail. Some of us have been there. The, the doctors have, have not been able to help her. She's broke. She's ceremonially unclean. She's culturally of zero value. That world that she lives in looks at her like she is literally human garbage. She has no value whatsoever. Jesus is going to heal a super important dude's daughter. Now, you got to think that Jairus, who didn't say anything here, but it, what's on his mind is, let's go. My daughter that I love is dying, let's go. Let's move, come on, let's go. You ever been in a hurry? You, it never fails, if I'm in a hurry, that's when I get behind the person who they're out seeing the sights. They like to get in that turn lane and just stop and consider life for a period of time. And I'm sitting behind him going, let's go, let's go, let's go. And my hand eases up to that Yankee button. You know, I, uh, do I want to, uh, please, just go. So you know Jarius is sitting there going, why, why are we stopping? This woman is of no importance. Who cares? Jesus sa says to, after Peter says, hey, what do you mean who touched you? Jesus says, I perceive that power has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. Now, think of how she must feel because she's literally shaking. And the, it, we, don't, we can't see it in, in English, but in the Greek, it's not that she fell down. She's falling down. She's literally getting, taking herself to the ground and she's shaking. I didn't mean to cause a fuss. 
But I just thought that if I could just touch the hem of your garment, I could be healed. And Jesus allows this interruption. He stops and he focuses on her, shows her love and compassion, and says, your faith has made you whole. While this beautiful moment is occurring where Jesus shows that he is superior to and lord over cultural norms, Jairus is brought back on the scene because people come from his house and say, don't worry about it, she did. So this whole big menagerie of humanity, we dealt with the, the woman, off we go, back to Jairus' house. And Jesus says, don't worry, it's going to be okay, let's go. Now, kind of, okay, it's, this is a Gadsden thing. So if any of you are watching who aren't from Gadsden won't get this. I hear this kind of story. I was sick. Uh, I had the, 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 the hoop and crud, and I went to, to, to insert name of local hospital here, and I couldn't do any good. So then I went to UAB. You ever heard that? You ever heard somebody say that? And then you walk in the door at UAB, and they sprinkle the, the what is it there, the, 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 the blazers, the, the, the dragon dust on you, and all of a sudden, and then it was all better. Or, I, we've heard the story here. You know, I went to see the doctors here. I went to Birmingham, and they couldn't do anything. And so then I went to Houston to, to the oncologist. There's, there's, I went to Johns Hopkins. I went to this doctor. I went to that. Over here is this doctor, and he's got the special touch. He's got a special thing that he's doing, and now I'm all better. We've all heard that story, right? That in our mind, there's always, I can reach out, but I've been in UAB, and I've been in Gadsden Regional, and I've been in Holy Name, and when a person is dying, and the doctors know there's nothing else they can do, it's almost the same scene. The family's around the room, around that bed, and you'll see nurses coming in, sometimes with tears in their eyes, and they're turning off machines. There's no reason to have a heart monitor if this person's about to die. And they'll cut that machine, this machine off. Maybe they'll take that IV out and roll it out of the room. And now we're left with a family and just a bed. And once that person breathes their last, there's no more frenzy of activity, right? There's no more, we need an epi push, we stats, and all, none of that's happening now. Now it's peace and silence. And once a person has gone home, the feel in that room is totally different. There's a finality in that moment. There's nothing else that can be done. In the writing, you can see this wash over the crowd. Once the servant says, don't bother the master anymore. She's dead. There's no more doctors to go to. There's no more trips that need to be made. There's no more fancy thing that we can try. She's gone. It's over. Death since Adam has been the great conqueror. Nobody has defeated him. Marcus Aurelius said, Alexander the Great and his horsemen both died. And when they did, they just did. It didn't matter. Kings lose their crown. 
No matter how powerful you are, no matter how popular you are, no matter how rich you are, once you're dead, you just dead. Nietzsche said the dead only know one thing, and that is that they wish to be alive. And yet, Jesus keeps moving. Jesus says, come on, let's go. They get to this scene. The crowd, figuring that the servant must have gotten lost in the way, says, no, she's dead. There's nothing more you can do. And Jesus says, no, she's only asleep. Now, this is jarring. And Luke wants us to see how jarring it is, how rude and obnoxious and heartless this crowd is because they laugh. Jairus is standing there. This man's daughter has just died. And the crowd is laughing because they think Jesus is being simple. Can you imagine your daughter, your only daughter, your only child that you love? You've just gotten the news that she died, and the crowd is making fun of somebody else in your presence? That shows that heartlessness of the crowd. Jesus says, whatever. Peter, James, John, come with me. And they go in. And and in the ESV, they've they've changed the train. If you have a King James Version, they, they show that Jesus says to her Talitha, which is in Aramaic, Talitha, arise. What that means is, is that Jesus used a diminutive term. He said, sweetheart, honey, get up. He uses a a term of endearment. Talitha, arise. She gets up, and what does Jesus immediately do? This is like, this is passe. Like he's just bored with the whole situation. Somebody get her a sandwich and something to drink. She's been dead. She's probably hungry. I don't know, I guess when you come back from the dead, you're hungry. But Jesus, Jesus is caring enough that he's like, hey, could somebody go make a bologna sandwich for ta- the sweetheart here? Get her something to eat. Like, this is no big deal. This shows me. What we've seen is that Jesus has authority over the natural elements. Jesus has authority over weather Jesus has authority over viruses. Jesus has authority over bacterium. Jesus has authority over anything in this natural world. If Jesus wants, he can say, peace, be still, and it will be still. Jesus has authority over the social circumstances. How in our culture, people get pushed out, and this person is of value, this person isn't. This person's important, this person isn't. So that it may leave you feeling like you're of no value. We've all been in a room when everybody celebrates somebody else over here and you're kind of like, well, what am I, cottage cheese? Hello, I'm a human being too. Jesus is Lord over that. He cared about the woman who nobody else cared about. Who in the eyes of everybody in that crowd was literal human trash of no value. Jesus has authority over the social circumstances. Both in the woman with the issue of blood and in the life of Jairus. He didn't say, I'm sorry, honey, I'll have to come back with you. Jairus is super important. Jesus had authority over finances. Jesus shows his authority even finally over death. I'm here to tell you that Jesus has authority over you and your life, and your circumstances. 
I've said it a thousand times in the last four weeks. At no time ever is God in the throne going, what do we do next? He knows. And if you worst case scenario it in your mind, I lose my job, I get COVID and I die. After you take your last breath, the next things that happen to you are written down in that book. Death is not something that we fear. And the rich man, uh, and Lazarus died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. After you take your final breath, you will not be alone. You will not be stepping off into some dark void. You will have the very angels around you at that moment. In fact, I love the way Paul describes it. Death is swallowed in victory. There is nothing in this world that your Savior doesn't have authority over. So what do we do with that? We trade fears. Just as in the first story, the disciples traded the fear of what was going on in that storm and all the circumstances around them. They traded that fear for fear of Jesus. What we have to do in our lives as real, legitimate fears come at us. Real things that really can mess you up and give you a rough day give you a rough year, give you, take you out. As those fears come at you, exchange those fears for the fear of God and do what he's called you to do. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. We do what God has called us to do and we let the world take care of itself. We let the enemy do what he's gonna do because he's going to be roaming around to and fro Seeing who he could destroy, we do what God has commanded us to do. And Jesus is Lord over you. In Philippians chapter 2, we read, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Father God, I pray that you give us the strength and the wisdom to live in fear of you. And to worship and obey your Son and his commandments. God, I pray that we would be your people and you would be our God. Lord, I pray that we would keep our eye on you. Lord, I pray that we would run to the book as, as we hear the news and as we see things on, on the internet, Lord, that we would run to the book. Lord, we thank you for these times that you have brought into our lives so that they force us to be dependent on you. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for everything that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go serve your king.